Last night I was sitting at table eating with folks I did not know, some strangers. One of them was Sally. She was an older lady. And we were visiting around the table uh, and the conversation turned to spiritual things. And this lady named Sally told her story. She said that she grew up with religious tradition and that she practiced that for years and years and never really found any life-giving in it. And as an adult, in fact, somewhat older adult, she personally appropriated faith in Christ. She trusted in Christ as Savior. And it changed completely her life. She was just aglow with the glory of God. Not only her life, but the life of her family and her friends eventually were transformed through the power of a relationship with Christ, being born again, truly being saved, experiencing God's grace in a personal way. Today it is my privilege to talk with you about the story of the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, as he relates it in Galatians chapter 1, and to talk about religious tradition, as he does in his story. Now I have some passages here that I want you to read with me, including verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1 of Galatians, as we look at the call of grace. I also want you to read with me the end of this passage, okay? So let's read 11 and 12 together. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. Read with me. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. 
and they praise God because of me. Interesting story. Paul's apostleship is being challenged in the churches of Galatia. False teachers have come in. They're teaching another gospel not anchored in the grace of God which is made manifest in Christ. And they are challenging the apostle Paul and his credentials. So he is writing to them to assure them that he has spent time with Jesus. In fact, three years which was the length of Jesus' ministry as he taught Peter, James, and John and the other, other apostles. And it was in this personal instruction from the Lord Jesus that he received the revelation of the gospel. So he is defending his apostleship to the churches there that were questioning him. He tells the story of his own religious background. It's interesting that he sought to persecute the church of Jesus Christ and destroy it. When you read that, you think, how could he have been so misguided? And then he says that he advanced beyond other people his age in his religion, which was Judaism, and in the practice of the faith handed down to him, the traditions of his forefathers. And you think, now here's a man who persecuted the church of Jesus Christ, but was advancing at the same time in his religion and practicing his religious traditions. Paul would call that his previous way of life by tradition. Now, I'm not going to say to you that traditions are essentially good or bad. Everybody has traditions. Paul grew up in Judaism. It's an ism. It's a system of belief and practice. He inherited these traditions from the fathers who came before him. They passed these traditions down to him. This happens in all societies, in all cultures on planet Earth. Just about everybody grows up with some religious tradition handed down from the forefathers, a system of belief and practice. Sometimes people feel it is their responsibility to examine the various systems of belief and practice, compare them one to another, See which one fits them best and choose that. There are people here in our own congregation who have a story about that, about how they examined religious traditions and systems of belief and practice before they came to know Christ as Savior. Now, Paul was lost before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Despite the fact that he was very zealous for his religious tradition, despite the fact that he was advancing in the hierarchy of his chosen system of belief and practice, still he was lost. In fact, as it was with Paul, 
so it can be with anybody who inherits religious tradition. The religious tradition can itself become the point. It can become the God. One step removed from a personal experience with the living God, you may be satisfied with and indeed idolize the religious tradition which you have inherited. You can make it the be-all and end-all. So that practicing the tradition is what you do. People might say, well, we, we embrace what we learn and what we know. So a Hindu teaches his children in India, and if you grew up in India, you become a Hindu. If you grow up in Iraq, you become a Muslim. If you grow up in these United States of America, you are very likely to become a Christian. People embrace the religious tradition that is around them. I was driving down I-45 between Dallas and Houston and came upon an exit sign that said Calvary Road. I doubt you would see such an exit sign that say in India or Iraq. Calvary is obviously the mount upon which Jesus died. And the road is named for him. You heard about the fellow who wanted to know where Jesus was born. The guy went through a list of cities. And finally he said, Palestine. And the fellow said, well, I knew it was somewhere in East Texas. <laughs> yeah. East Texas, all the towns, there's so many towns named, you think you're in the Holy Land, you know? Christianity is woven into this culture. The names of the saints are everywhere. Geographical names come from the Bible. It is embedded in our culture. Do you know you can be a true Hindu if you just practice the religious traditions handed down to you? And you can be a true Muslim if you just practice those religious traditions handed down to you. But if all you're doing is practicing religious tradition handed down to you, if that's it, you are not a true Christian. You can't become a true Christian by practicing religious tradition handed down to you. Do you understand this? <laughs> religious tradition, even if it is Christian, is not enough to save you. And if that's all you've got, you're as lost as anybody on the planet. You say, wait a minute, we're talking about Christian tradition here. Well, with Paul, we were talking about Jewish tradition. We were talking about the faith of the fathers. We're talking about Abraham and his encounter with God and the covenant he had with him. Paul was part of the covenant people. 
And yet he was far enough from God to be persecuting the church and seeking to destroy it. What in the world's going on? The fact is, religious tradition does not save you. Amen. Not the traditions of Judaism, nor the traditions of Christianity. I'm not passing judgment on whether those traditions are good or bad. I'm just saying that that's not how you come to know Christ in a personal way. That's not how you're born again. The apostle said, my previous way of life was by tradition. That's how I ordered my life. Well, Paul, what is your current way of life? My current way of life is by revelation, he says. The gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. My current way of life, by revelation. There is a sense in which this is special to the Apostle Paul because the Holy Spirit was at work in his life providing for us an inspired word that we could stand upon in the years to come. But there is a sense in which revelation is for everybody. Christianity is, in fact, a revealed religion. Not just for the ancients, but it is by revelation for you today. Revelation is strictly up to God. You can't, you can't force God to reveal who he is. It's all of him. Religious tradition may be totally of man. In fact, you could probably practice all the inherited traditions from your forefathers and wouldn't need God at all, would you? I mean, if God were just to disappear, we could keep doing all the traditions. So tradition may be completely, it may be completely man-made. Man doing it, man passing it on. Revelation, on the other hand, must be completely of God. Men can't steal knowledge of God from him. We know what he chooses to reveal. The height of his revelation to us comes in Jesus himself, who is the brightness of God's image and the exact representation of his person according to Hebrews chapter 1 and so we have the revelation which is in Christ but every individual who has come to faith in Christ has heard the call of God that the apostle talks about here you don't come unless God calls you I was talking to a family who are new to our church, and, and they have some children. I said, the children, when we deal with them, they, they need to exhibit two things. They need to exhibit enough understanding to be saved. They need to know something. They need to know that they are sinners, that Jesus died on the cross for their sin. And if they confess Jesus as Savior and repent of their sin, they are forgiven and, and brought into the kingdom of God. So they, they've got to know something. They also have to 
give evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in them. Because just knowing something doesn't make you a Christian either. Becoming a Christian is not ticking off ten things that you know. It is the Holy Spirit working upon your heart, convicting you of sin. The Holy Spirit is alive in the world today. God is speaking and you can hear him. He prompts our heart. He convicts us. He draws us to himself. Nobody comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. It is by revelation. This current life that I have, Paul says, is by revelation. It has nothing to do with us. It's all about God. Why would God do this? The only explanation is God's grace. It's amazing that God would do this. It's amazing grace that God loves us enough to intervene in our lives, to call us to himself, to put people in our lives and circumstances in our, in our lives where, where he communicates his call to us and prompts us by his spirit and draws us to himself. You see, you can't have a living relationship with God unless God is drawing you to himself. A Christian is somebody who has responded to the call of God's grace and said, yes, Lord. All of us grow up with religious tradition. I grew up with it. People would look at me and say, well, it's just natural that you're a Christian. But there was a point at which I had to personally appropriate appropriate that for myself somebody famously said God has no grandchildren if you would describe yourself as a grandchild of God you need to get this fixed all right if you're one generation removed you yourself need to be standing in his presence appropriating his grace confessing he is Lord believing in your heart God raised him from the dead you yourself must be born again, God said, to a very religious man named Nicodemus who knew all the rules and tried to keep them and came to Jesus wondering what to do. And Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. What are you talking about? I'm talking about being born of the Spirit. That's what Jesus said. God so loved the world he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is the work of the Spirit in the heart of the believer. This is what makes one a Christian. The Apostle Paul went out to preach this grace all over the place. Unearned favor of God that God in his grace calls us, reveals himself to us and brings us into the family. That all we can do is respond. That our rule keeping and our rituals cannot bring salvation to our heart. But it is only in Christ. His grace is enough for your salvation and for every day that you live. In these days, we may be personally shamed and feeling guilty about our lifestyles. There may be things that are wrong in our lives that embarrass us and we hope nobody will ever discover. It could be true about you sitting in this pew. You've got secrets you hope never come out. 
God's grace is enough for you. You got to get this. It's got to come into your heart. It's got to be right here. He loves you despite your weaknesses. He knew when he saved you this was coming in the future. He saved you even though you are broken, even though you are a mess. And the grace which God gives to us and which I am preaching now does, make, does not make your Christian life sloppy. It makes it possible. The legalism which you think will save you and order your life is just you minimizing God's judgments so maybe somehow you can measure up. Because ultimately, nobody in this room measures up to the standard of God. Nobody. Nobody loves God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you really start looking at that, you're going to say, oh, God, I have failed even on the first commandment. Nobody loves his neighbor like he loves himself. We try and we fail the standard. We fail. It's just there. We are all miserable failures worthy of the condemnation and the wrath of God. That's who we are. The scripture says the wages of sin is death, and that's us. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. To deliver God's grace to you. He has paid the sin debt for all the stuff that shames you and troubles you and embarrasses you. For all the secrets that you've hidden. He died on the cross for all that. And his death on the cross is intended to liberate you from the shame and the guilt of those failures. He wants to lift your chin wants to straighten your shoulders his grace alone can do this he freely forgives because he loves to forgive he loves you just like you are think about it he loves you his love is demonstrated by his Gift of his own son. Dying on the cross for you. In your place. Think of the love of God. Don't try to satisfy God. With some works of righteousness that you perform. Don't try to balance out the scales by doing some good things. So you won't feel so badly about the bad stuff. That's like you coming to God who's given his one and only son to save you and you pulling out a $10 bill and saying here God I'd like to buy some salvation please what for 10 bucks this is what you think of my salvation this is what you think of my heaven this is how you get in this family of mine this is how you become my child with, with 10 bucks with Ten good deeds? No. It's impossible. It will never happen. In my previous life, Paul says, it was by tradition. In my current life, it's by grace. I live in this grace in which I stand. It is only in grace that you will have the strength to be morally and ethically the person God has called you to be. It's not all those other things we think it's got to be. It's grace. 
It's known every day that the grace of God is sufficient for me in my current dilemma, my current situation. He loves me. And it is the love of God overflowing in your heart that gives you courage to live this life like you ought to live it. And it gives you the cleansing that you need every day to boldly get out there in the world again and put your love out there in the world and represent Christ in the world. I had somebody ask me this week, do you ever feel inadequate? Heavens, that could be my middle name. <laughs> David inadequate. Do I ever feel inadequate? I feel like Paul, I'm the chief of sinners here. You know, I'm number one. And he called me to preach the gospel. What kind of God is this? He's God who gives more grace than you ever imagined than you will allow yourself to believe. That's why you hold on to the shame and the guilt because you won't let him be the God of grace that he really is to you. And if you can internalize it, if you can receive it, it'll clean you up on the inside. It'll do away with all the insecurities that you wrestle with every day. It'll make a person of courage and faith that God intended you to be. If you can live in his grace, if you can receive it, if you can know his full forgiveness and know before God the slate is clean, absolutely clean. When you get off your knees and you have confessed, he has fully cleansed you. Not only the stuff you confess, but everything you forgot as well. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all, all, all. where we got to live to be the people he's called us to be okay you got to listen for God's call it comes in a variety of ways but God is seeking to speak to you whoever you are there is a living God he made the universe he made you he sent his son to die on the cross in your place and he's seeking to get your attention the circumstances of your life the people in your life this book when you read it and sometimes just a prompting inside is God speaking to you? You're asking questions. And part of the reason you're asking those questions is because God is tugging on your heart. And you've got questions about who he is and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to respond. That's God speaking to you. And when the light comes on spiritually, that's God delivering his message to you. God is at work in your life. He wants to get your attention. He's whispering your name. Paul heard his name. He was called by God's grace and he responded say well what am I supposed to do I feel like God is speaking to me and he is calling me you got to respond you say yes Lord here I am you open your heart to the God who loves you now this is scary to know that God is speaking to you the God who created this universe is speaking to you and he's calling you to respond because you've got to drop all the other things you've been trusting in. The gate is narrow, Jesus said, and all that stuff you're carrying won't fit through. You can't trust in Jesus and keep this security blanket of your religious tradition. I'm trusting in Jesus, but I got this just in case he fails me. <laughs> no, you're going to get out there without any net, all right? There's no net in trusting Jesus as Savior. It's all him. If he fails you, you're a goner, 
all right? You don't have some second plan. You're giving up on the notion that you can do it yourself, that you can be good enough, that you can keep the laws well enough. You're giving up on the silly idea that when you get to heaven, you're going to say to God, well, open those books and take a look. I'm just going by my record. You don't want that. God's got it all. You don't want God opening the books when you get there. You want him to open one book. Just check to see if my name is written in the book of life. All right? My name's there. Because I trusted in Jesus as my Savior. I put all my eggs in this basket. I let go of everything else. I tried to get rid of every self-righteousness in me. And all I have is Jesus. Check to see if my name's in that book. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. It's true not because I say it. It's true because this is how God did it. For thousands of years of history, preparing the human race for the entrance of his one and only, his son Jesus. Bow with me, please. Someone here needs to stop trusting in the system and find Christ as Savior. Lord, I pray for that person who's still depending on works of righteousness to get them to heaven. God, I pray you will break that yoke of pride, misunderstanding. Lord, help us to see ourselves the way we are, <coughs> sinful before you, unable to help ourselves, and in need of a Savior. Show us our sinfulness. Show us your mercy, God. Show us how great a salvation you've prepared for us in Christ. Lord, I pray for those who have been halting at the door, at the gate, wondering about really making this commitment. God, I pray today will be the day when they say yes to your call in their heart. Make it clear to that man, that woman in this room that you are indeed calling them, that it is your voice they are hearing. God, help them respond as the apostle did long ago to the call of grace. Thank you, God, that you've provided it all. All that we need for our salvation in Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray.